0: to Rabbi Siegel! Thank you. There's a gentle knock on the door and Reb Zalman goes to the doorway, opens it up. I mean, his house is sparse. There's a crude wooden table in the center of the room, two chairs, <laughs> nothing else. The floor is dirt, the ceiling is low, the walls are made from bricks. It opens up the door, and standing at the door is a man dressed in rags, destitute. He looks at Rabbi and he says, "Please help me. I have nothing." His body is scrawny. Salomon looks at him and he says, "You know, unfortunately, I, I would love, I would love to help you, but there's nothing I can, there's nothing I can give you." And then his wife, Rochel, standing across the room, he looks at her, she looks at him, and they, both their eyes focus on her golden wedding band. And there's this kind of implicit agreement that he silently said between them. And she removes it from her finger. She gives it to her husband. He gives it to this poor person standing by the door. And he accepts it graciously and begins to make his way towards the village to sell it, to get enough money to sustain himself for for a while. And as he starts to walk away, he's gone about a hundred yards away. All of a sudden, Rochel's face changes. And she flings open the door and she starts to chase him. And Solomon says, don't do it! Don't do it! And he runs after her. She catches up to this man. And she says, my ring, my ring! She says, be careful. When you sell my ring, it's a precious one. I want to tell you the value so you don't get cheated when you sell it. Don't think it's worth less than it really is. And Zalman breathes a sigh of relief you thought you wanted it back very often we can be given a gift but if we don't know the value of the gift we can sell it for way below its value for way below its price Shabbat is a gift I'd like to today explore a few ideas related to what Shabbat is all about how it relates to us how we relate to it and how in a certain way, it can give us a dimension to life which may be something that would enrich us and give us something that we may ne- never have experienced in that same way. So, we look at Shabbos, and the basic point of Shabbos is quite interesting because it's referred to biblically as a day of rest. That's okay, I'm all for rest, but what's stranger is when Shabbos is referred to as a day of rest. It says, and you should rest. Why should you rest? Because? Because Hashem rested. Hashem rested! What an insult! Why do people rest? Why do people rest? To recharge. To recharge. Why do they need to recharge? Because they're tired. Why are they tired? Because they are Humans. Mortal, fallible, human, fragile—they run out of energy. They need a Red Bull to keep them going. Would you think there's this is divine Red Bull that comes down on Shabbos and recharges the Creator? In fact, it sounds heretical to say that the Creator rested. Why? Oh, oh gosh, after six days of creation. He thinks to himself, "Oh my gosh, that was exhausting." Just give me a break. And he goes, oh, Baruch Hashem, Shabbos is coming. Strange. Very strange. Question number one. What's this rest all about? Question number two. Shabbos, Shabbat, is referred to as the day of rest. It's almost as if being the day of rest, that's a big thing to be. Now let's think about how we look at rest. The way that we look at rest is recharge. The way we look at rest is when you're exhausted, you need to get yourself relaxed and recharged so you can continue going, so that you've got the energy to work, so that you can output. So therefore, in a hierarchical relationship, what's more important, what's less important, what's primary and what's secondary, so getting out there, doing stuff is primary. But you can't go on forever because we're not perpetually energized. So you need to take a break. So really, rest is a facilitator to work. It's secondary. It's an accessory. It's not something which has intrinsic value. It's got value because it facilitates something else. But for example, if you could somehow generate energy without needing to rest, it would be preferable. you get rid of all this wasted time. So seemingly, there's nothing intrinsically valuable about rest. Contextually, in a daily busy life, because we've become exhausted, we need to rest. But, if we wouldn't, why would we ever rest? Rest has no value. And therefore, to call Shabbat the day of rest seems to be demeaning its stature, not increasing it. So, those are the two points which I think lead into what will be for us a complete and total shift of mind as to what rest is and to what Shabbos says and to what God was doing when he said he rested good okay, here it goes here it goes, let's go a little bit deeper let's get to the point of let's ask a why question let's ask ourselves what is it about resting that recharges us? Why does inactivity allow us to become more active afterwards? So it's obviously a physical explanation physiological explanation the body becomes depleted and it requires a recharging but there's also a spiritual explanation and the spiritual explanation begins with the premise. The premise is as follows. Life has a source. There's a source to life and the ultimate source to life is Hashem. He's God, the Creator. He generates life, He creates, He energizes. And the Creator is in essentially spiritual, beyond the physical beyond the material. And that's where the source of life, that's where the wellspring of life rests. So what happens is as follows. The way that one would spiritually process the idea of needing rest is as a person becomes more and more involved in physical activity, he becomes further and further distanced from a spiritual source. The further away we move from the source of life, the less life there's left in us. So we become tired. We become de-energized. So what do we do? In order for us to get back to the source of life, we have to desist. We have to hold back. And we have to sleep. Now sleep in the Jewish world is a very interesting thing. Mahatma Gandhi said, which I thought was beautiful the way of expressing it, he said, every night we die, and in the morning... are reborn. I love that idea. Because it gives a complete focus to the way we process the act of sleep. The act of sleep is an act of surrender. And according to Jewish tradition, when a person sleeps, his soul ascends. Meaning, he's able to completely remove himself. Complete sleep is the removal of oneself from the physical world in order to become spiritually nourished in order to become reconnected to one source. And after that, we wake up, reborn, we wake up, recharged, because we've reconnected to our source. And then we go into our day, and in the course of our day, we move further and further away, we get involved in the material, in the physical, we get distracted, and slowly but surely, that connection becomes dissipated, it becomes more tenuous, and we start to feel the lack. And the way it expresses itself is in physical exhaustion. And then we have to go and return to the source and get regenerated again and get reconnected. So now if you look at rest that way, ironically, rest is, in a certain way, a higher state of being than physical activity. Because it returns us to a place which is much more simple, much more essential, much more basic to our beings than actual physical activity, even though of course, this world is about doing this world is about doing, but there's an aspect of being which I'm about to explore now, are we all on the same page so far? great the five levels of self going from the outermost to the innermost let's talk about them suggestions for the the externality, the ultimate external part of my of my identity. Where would that be? The furthest extreme of my being would be suggestions. Body. Further away than your body. <laughs> Too <laughs> far. <laughs> <laughs> Bit closer. Family. Location. Almost your home your home your possessions your clothes we we all realise that we we express ourselves through our possessions that's why we choose to wear the clothes we wear we choose to buy the car that we want to drive we wear the watches that we like because our personality is expressed through our possessions so the first, let's say level of identity is possessions what we have that's on the outside Moving one step in. The next step would be? Body. There you go. The next step is your body, your physicality. We, d- we identify with our body. We take pride in the way we look. We connect ourselves. We recognize our faces in the mirror. We're in- concerned about our faces. I'm concerned about my fast-receding hairline. A little bit too late. But we're concerned about the way we look, the way we present ourselves. <laughs> For the follically challenged amongst us. So... The next step in is your body. Going deeper, 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 deeper. Where would we get to next? Too quick, too quick. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. Slowly, slowly. Before your mind, I'd like to call this your emotions, your personality. Personality. How you express yourself in terms of your emotion, and that gets you down to that level. And then, you get to your, your mind, your thoughts. Oh. Now, before we get to the center, the core of your being, let's explore these, how these things pan out. So, our identities generally rest. They're not, they're not located in one of these things alone person doesn't only identify themselves with their material possessions. They don't only identify themselves by their physical appearance. They don't only identify themselves by the way they interact emotionally or the way that they think and conceive of life. Genuinely our identity is spread over all those aspects. So there's a part of us which is connected to our physical expression in terms of possession. There's a part of us which looks at our bodies as a form of identity. There's a part of us that looks at our personality and a part of us that looks at our thoughts, correct? And the truth is, as people vary, the different places of, of emphasis where you put yourself varies according to people. Some people are very strongly identified with their property and their possessions and less so with their mind and with their personality. And other people, is more so with their mind. And the other people, who, so it's all with the body. So we, we spread ourselves over. Now, I want to tell you something which I really think is transformational in terms of how we perceive these things. I would like to challenge that whole thing. I would like to take it it right out the window. No, no, no! No, 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 no. Your identity is not possessions, body, emotions, thoughts. No, 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 no. None of those. And I'll try to explain this, and I don't know if it will work, but I'll give it a bash. In Judaism, there's an idea called idolatry. On the one hand, and we believe in God. So now look at this. I take this chair, okay? Now, I would be a heretic if I said, is God in this chair? If I said no, I'd be a heretic. Of course, he <laughs> why do you keeping it going? Inside, they're tiny atoms. The atoms are driven by energy. The energy is given by God. So God is here. Next step. Well, why don't you bow down and worship the chair? God's there. Why not? I'm a believing Jew. Let me worship God in the chair. Why not? Say again. In other words Even though God is in the chair He is not the chair He uses the chair to manifest himself To be a vehicle of expression A vehicle of expression He's not the chair That's not, his in, that's not who he is That's what he uses You follow? Okay, so now let's look at ourselves Let's look at ourselves Who are we? Are we our possessions? Possessions Are we our body? Are we our emotions? Are we our thoughts? In truth, every single one of us is immortal. And every single one of us is really this. We have a soul. But, the soul has to gain entrance into this earthly existence. So it needs vehicles of expression. And the vehicles of expression that the soul uses have different complexities and subtleties. The first vehicle expression, the deepest vehicle expression that the soul can use to express itself are thoughts. Then it can use emotions as a tool of expression. And then it can use the body as a tool of expressions, and it can even use possessions. For example, our souls are pure every single person's soul is pure and can never be defiled and one of the deepest needs of my soul is to extend kindness to others so therefore if that power of the soul dresses up in a thought I'll use my intellectual capacities to insure someone else's need and say hi would you like some water it came through a thought I anticipated I considered I could even tactically plan in the intellectual frame a way of expressing that desire for kindness and then I would feel it in my heart that it just wouldn't be a cold giving over of something to you but actually feel the experience of connection to you and I'd use my body to perform the action and I'd take off my own possessions to give it to you so therefore when I've got this deeper inner essence and I'd like to use it as a mechanism of expression I need a tool, so I need to use my thoughts to assist me, I need to use my emotions to convey. I need to use my body to act and I need to use my possessions to transfer and to give and to enrich others. So therefore when I look at myself as this oh no I'm not my possessions my body my emotions my thoughts I'm my soul but I use my thoughts my emotions my body and my possessions to facilitate to express to bring into the world this divine part of self this immortal part of self this eternal being that I am and if so Okay? So if so, it completely transforms my position in terms of my own identity. No longer am I a body that has a soul, but I'm a soul that has a body. I need the body, I need the emotions, I'm a soul that has thoughts, I'm a soul that has feelings, but I'm essentially, deeply, immortally a soul. That's my essence. We're all together? Now let's talk about Shabbos, back to Shabbos, back to Shabbos, and let's talk about what we normally do. What we normally do is we we'll been given a purpose in this world. This world is an imperfect place. We've been put on this earthly realm to perfect it and to perfect ourselves. And therefore, for six days a week, what do we do? We go out there and we try to move the soul through these vehicles and Do and think and be productive. And we try to elevate the physical world. We try to translate the temporary into the permanent. And when we see something happening, we try to give it a context which is above and beyond, just transcendent. We can transform the act of eating an apple into a moment of blissful connection. And there's a whole system of meditative prayer designed in order for that to happen. So that eating doesn't just become the point of nutritional recharging or indulgence in desire. It becomes a moment of connection to something above and beyond. That's the idea of a bracha. Of a bracha. A bracha is the idea of reconnecting something to a higher source. So that the act of eating doesn't just become an indulgence, it becomes a mechanism of transcendence. And essentially, everything in this world we use as a clue, a vessel to do something bigger. You can take a conversation and you can be indulgent or you can be transcendent. You can think about the other person and connect to a higher value of kindness. You can use your power as self-control and resistance and therefore something which comes in front of you, a temptation of perhaps integrity and honesty, when you resist it, you've transformed that moment into an eternity. Because the value of truth will never, never, I do this great exercise um, to put across the notion of eternity. Okay? Um, it It may require you and I know this is always a painful thing to do. It may require you um, tearing out that centre page of your of your booklets over here. Are you willing to make that sacrifice? I, th- I think we're going to do it. I think we're going to do it. So I want you to do this, and yeah, just like tear We've out. Already the filled it all with notes. So what <laughs> <laughs> tear out that centre page so that you don't wreck the rest of your book. Like two pages around. Two pages worth. Okay. Now, tear those pages in half. So you've got two single pages. The <laughs> 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 it's modern art, Adam. It, it looks good. It's very creative. I like it. Okay. So now, I want you. Now you've got those two papers, and I'm going to call on your engineering skills, and I want you from one of those papers to fold a paper aeroplane. Okay? It's going to be... Uh, is it your name? Adam? Adam is going to be a creative paper airplane the world. Well, let's see what's going to happen. <laughs> Okay, wait thing. before you throw them, we're actually gonna have a we're gonna have a competition, yeah? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 <there's> broken <laughs> 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 I didn't do anything. What flight is you you told me it's not fine. <laughs> I don't know any I fix our wings. been uh when I go I I don't know it looks like I, it I could be wrong Oh it didn't I, I didn't guess, guess there's, I there's something on the time it's getting better Is Okay so to see so how, how far it goes? Now? So we go yeah we, we, we are going for distance at this point in time We still go further though probably Okay good keep it going keep it. I like that Okay so now now we're going to have a competition Now we're going to have a competition of let's see who can propel their their aeronautical masterpiece vehicle vehicle the furthest. Okay, shall we shall we (laughs) start with (laughs) Rabbi Grafinkel? Let's see that beauty. Uh, Look at the form. Look at the form. Aerodynamic design. Whoa, very good, gone. Give money. Interesting. Whoa.
1: Okay, creative, diverse.
0: Either your choice, your choice. Very nice. Whoa, the winner so far. Whoa, very nice, very nice. Keep on going, keep on going. Let's see these things fly. Okay. He's a consultant. He's not an engineer. There we go, and. <laughs> Creative oh, Okay, oh, not oh, bad oh, okay. okay Okay, so in the process Watch out. There you go, the winner so, so now With your second piece of paper With your second piece of paper What I want you to do Is I want you to reproduce Your first model Okay for, Reproduce the first model you made Very easy for you She is getting her phone worked out because we need her to have a phone or well, Rabbi is going to have a difficult trip. <laughs> <laughs> and Rabbi doesn't want a difficult trip. I want a wonderful trip. <laughs> your, phone? your phone? Yeah, just take can You want me to call you? Your <laughs> call you, sir? Yeah. Okay, well, how did I do? I thought your first one was fantastic. Is this like origami teaching us like deep lessons startling. of precision? Absolutely. It's Japanese children, precision and origami, one little bit off. <laughs> Spatial orientation, <laughs> a wide range of cognitive oh, yeah. skills. <sharp�� ice> okay, great. Much better than my first one. <laughs> okay. <know laughs> <know why though. laughs> so, so the truth is, the idea is as follows. And this is something which is currently intuitive, but we all can relate to it. If I ask you, and this is what we're going to explain through our paper airplanes, if I ask you, well what's what's, what's more of a solid reality? Is it the is it the this board, this easel, or is it the idea of the easel? Intuitively we'd think well it's the easel because you can touch it and you can hold it. But the truth is, I could destroy this easel. I could burn it I could hack it into pieces and if I know how to make the easel I'll just regenerate it so the idea is way stronger than the manifestation of the idea it's way more fundamental you follow? your idea of your paper airplane doesn't get destroyed when you crumple up your paper airplane it still stays yes? can we still throw it? you can still throw (laughs) it very good mark 2 keep on going Oh, whoa again. This was yours again. Again. Oh. Do you, What do you do? It's amazing. <laughs> 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 yeah. I don't think
1: so. Okay.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's oh, oh, that looks nice. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, it's better than the paper. So, what was more than the paper? Okay, so again, that the is, point of <laughs> the paper <laughs> airplane point, <Okay>. the paper <laughs> airplane point. <laughs> <Find a submarine. laughs> the paper airplane point was that you take this thing you have an idea in your mind you put it into physical form then you take the physical form you destroy it you can make another one because the solidity solidity is here it's not there so actually doing is a departure it's going away and it's less essential than being so the difference between Shabbat and the rest of the week is the difference between doing and being. On Shabbat, you take all these five levels of self, and what happens is as follows there's a whole system which is structured to allow a person to reconnect to a more fundamental sense of self. How do you do that? It's quite simple. What you do is you create an environment where the possibility of intelligent, creative activity is no longer, no longer part of your world. I don't know if any of you have heard of the 39 malachot of Shabbat. The 39 categories of prohibited, acti- prohibited activity. There's this whole range of things that you can't do on Shabbat. The things that you can't do in Shabbat is to create a cessation. It's to create a reconnection of instead of outputting, turn everything inwards. In other words, when we're out there and we're acting and we do and we're drawing and we're painting and we're building and we're driving and we're being creative. We're imposing ourselves on the world. So what we're doing is we're taking the soul and we're putting it out there. We're translating it into the physical world. And that's the great thing and that's what we have to do for six days. And there's one day when we say, okay, now we're going to reconnect. Now we're going to turn off all the sounds. Now we're going to be completely Disconnected. We're going to create this island in time where the world quietens down. It becomes serene. And we're no longer there to do. We're there to be. It's almost like a reconnection like sleep is. But now it's in a wakeful state. So we get back to the source and we say, do you know what? We're not going to go and we're not going to output. With our possessions, our body and emotions. We're gonna take our soul and we're gonna use it inwardly. Instead of giving out, we're gonna pull in. And therefore, our possessions, we don't we don't get involved with them. We let go. We submit. We discharge it. We get rid of you know like especially in today's in today's world, there's incessant noise. There's beeping, there's tweeting, there's it's all the time all the time, all the time and every time one of those beeps and tweets happens boom, you get pulled out of yourself boom, you get pulled out of yourself so all of a sudden this quietness reigns on this day called Shabbos it's quiet and when it's quiet you can start to turn things inward so what happens to your body? instead of thinking about how to build your body how to put your body out there you just live with your body you nourish it and that's why on Shabbos you eat delicious food because you're not thinking about making thinking about enjoying enriching your emotions you sit there with your family with your friends you reconnect you're with yourself you acknowledge you live with your thoughts you spend your mind engaged in holy thoughts thoughts which are transcendent thoughts which aren't engaged in the mundane the physical they're spiritual they're lofty and when you do that so everything goes back towards the soul the soul becomes recharged because there's nothing pulling it away from its source it's a time of absolute reconnection, a time of quietness a time of mindful awareness of simply being and when you can simply be and you can stop stop, stop all the activity all the internal noise all the external noise then all of a sudden you can experience a different dimension of being a different dimension where you can sit there <coughs> quietly and there's nothing to do and there's nowhere to go and you can just just be and tonight you guys are well not only you just have the opportunity to just be but you're in the place where it all began the Holy City of Jerusalem the place where the sages say the heavens and the earth kiss the point just above the western wall is the site which was called the evan the, the founding point of the world from where everything else expanded into the universe the point where the spiritual and the physical fuse and that's the kind of energy that's if we're sensitive there's a famous story about Rabbi Noah Weinberg of blessed memory he was a, a tremendous leader and once a person went to the Kotel to and they, they were very disappointed, disillusioned, they said, Rabbi, you know, we, we went there and we didn't really feel anything special or elevated or... We didn't see sanctity, we didn't see unique... It was a, non, a, non, a non-plastic experience. So he said to them, well, did you see a buffoose stick? So the person said, I beg your pardon? He said, well, did you see a stick?" He said, "Uh, well, I have no idea what a stick is. How am I meant to know if I saw it or not? So he said, exactly. Until we've quietened everything down, we could be seeing thousands of them, but we just don't know what sticks are. They could be all over the place. We need to get that quietness. And then, in Jerusalem, We can walk and we can exist in a completely, completely different state. We can come to touch into terms, we can touch a part of ourselves which has been there all along but maybe we've never become as intimately connected to it as we could. We can transform the experience of doing into an experience of being and there's nothing there to distract us. And then we can just search inwards And find that part of ourselves which is completely transcendent and immortal. And once we hit there, then how could we ever be, ever? How could you ever experience anything which is a greater delight, joy? It's it's everything. It's everything. Everything begins with nothing. Everything else calms down. And then the ani, which is the Hebrew word for I, becomes. The ayin, which is a Hebrew word for nothingness. And when a person lets go of everything, that's when it all begins. That's when it all begins. You're able to connect to something which is way deeper than the manifestation than the paper paper airplane of ourselves. The behind everything. The physical dissipates and we can experience a completely different side of reality. But we have to learn how to walk. And this is something I want to leave you with because it's something tangible and something which the sages intuited would help us to get into that state of being. Now, I don't know if you know, there's like this huge, and it's quite interesting because in the world today, there's a massive wave of the mindfulness movement, which is spreading everywhere. I don't know if you guys are being familiarized with it. We're tweeting. I don't know. Okay, so, so mindfulness is, is like it's become very widespread. It was, you know, I was on the cover page of Time a few months ago. And even like some major corporates are having these meditation rooms. But one of the ways of mindfulness, one of the activities that they encourage people to do is called a mindfulness walk. Where you, instead of walking to somewhere, the act and the process of walking becomes your focus. Now, our sages beat mindfulness to the, to the act and the institute of this um, thousands of years ago that on Shabbos you have to learn how to walk differently and the way that it is, is expressed is you shouldn't take gigantic big steps you shouldn't stride you should time your steps so that your steps are small because when you've got small steps you have to slow down you're not in a hurry you're not going anywhere and what can happen is as you walk with these small steps you become aware through your body of being able to be present in the moment. Your physical body starts to direct you back towards your soul and it calms your emotions and it focuses your thoughts until you can just walk You have nowhere to go. So if I can leave you with a way of capturing this whole elaborate system. Just putting one foot in front of the other, brought out the desire to push it too far and try it out. Try it out. Try walking. Try walking so that the size of the gap between your feet is no larger than the size of your foot itself. And you'll suddenly see when you focus on that you may start to feel experience a completely different sense of quietitude and serenity tranquility and then you can start to hear those subtle subtle voices of your soul. So I'm looking forward to that. Hope you're looking forward to that. And I hope all of us to a certain degree experience some of this and Capture an insight into our souls on Shabbat in Jerusalem. Thank you. Thank you. So, I have a yeah, go on. So, how does it answer? Oh, I should have oh, no. How does it answer the first question? What does it mean that God rests now? So what does it mean God rested? For six days, God made a world. He it. He manifested. On the seventh day, he said. Now, I'm returning to the source of my being. There's no longer how I express myself, this is how I am. And we mirror that same process by refraining from engaging in creative activity, by becoming essential. How do we know that Friday night to Saturday night is Shabbos? Like how do we know that's...
1: Great question,
0: great question. The way the, the Biblical passages describe the passage of time, is beginning at a night, and ending with the following night. So the Jewish day begins at sunset, or when the stars come out, and ends at the following sunset. Which, is, which really, in terms of metaphorically, means that the nature of this world is every process, begins with darkness, and then it becomes light. But how do we know it's Shabbos should start on Friday night, and not Saturday night, or Sunday night, or Monday night? Oh, so... Why is it Friday? Friday night, I mean. Friday night. So, so the way the, 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 the passage is described it, it says the first day this was created and on the seventh day Hashem rested and He made it holy and that's the seventh day so it's specifically designated as the seventh day there's a lot of different mystical concepts about why the number, number seven but that's that's a whole other drosha any other questions? So what's like the, the Jewish view on Buddhism and meditation? You started to get that with mindfulness. So the, the, there's, there's a lot of overlaps and there's a lot of differences. The overlap is in this ability to be aware and not judgmental, just be present in the moment and see all these things around yourself because you, you're a- accessing a higher state of being. But then, that's, that's one aspect of Judaism which I think is an aspect which is common with Buddhism. Then there's another aspect of Judaism which is going out there. Buddhism is, is, I mean, from my limited knowledge, is, accepts this world as a world of suffering and we have to find inner peace. Judaism looks at this, the world as a world of challenge that we have to rectify. So even though there's an overlap in terms of connecting to that deeper sense of self, but in terms of the output, when it's not Shabbos, we're out there to fix. Uh, there's quite an interesting analogy about a person walking around a path in the Himalayas and he passes this beautiful Beautiful lily growing next to the path. So, the westerner looks at the lily and he picks it. The easterner looks at the lily and he meditates on it. And the Jew takes the watering can and he waters (laughs) it. um, Couldn't you kind of look at it in a different way? Um, Because for the first six days, there's so many. There's so many distractions. You've got your phone, you've got your work, you've got everything. And then on the seventh day, you're kind of reflecting, you're taking away from all that. So couldn't you, like instead of like a kind of a resting, kind of a day off, couldn't you consider it like a day on? Perfect. Exactly. You couldn't be more on. Beautifully expressed. Okay. (laughs) Adam's going to give you the next class. Okay, guys, so enjoy it.
1: Okay, And time
0: we're both wrapped a seagull again. Okay. Beautiful. Alright, I think we should clean up.